welcome back to Malleable Minds, or welcome if it's the first time ever um, ever listening. I've done, I think, two podcasts before, and yeah, well, I enjoyed them. I, I guess I got a little bit lazy towards um, some of my goals, but also things kind of picked up with work, and now I'm approaching a stage where I might actually have a little bit more time to kind of pursue some of the things that I'm um, interested in on a more personal level. So this is one of them. And I've also put uh, maybe a, a ridiculous amount of money into buying some equipment for podcasting because, you know, I'm going to choose, I'm choosing to look at it not as um, a waste of money, but uh, that driving force not to waste what I've spent money on and actually put some time into it. Got a, a couple of mics or four mics. Um, so to kind of explore more of a conversational structure rather than a, I don't know whether you'd call this a lecture kind of style, but regardless, to be able to actually have people onto the podcast and 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 do what I'm really passionate about, which is just learning about different different areas and, and learning about people as well. Um, so for today's podcast, um, it's going to be on, it's on addiction. So trying to explore, you know, what is it, what does it involve and kind of why am I talking about it or why, why is it important? So I want to start by saying that I'm not a professional, but I am passionate. Um, and I believe that this topic is, is worth knowing because it relates to, you know, how we should generally sort of seek balance in our life. Um, especially between modes of of short and long term gratification, which obviously um, relates to to addiction. So addiction is often thought of in a categorical way. This means that people think about it as either having it or not. Hence the term categorical. So categories. One way of distinguishing between different types of disorders. Um, is as either categorical versus continuous or dimensional disorders. So things that sit on a continuum. A categorical disorder would be something like, um, and I looked this up, eating disorders, um, antisocial personality disorders. And it didn't say this on the site that I looked up, but I wonder if bipolar disorder would, would be included um, as well. So I guess that's something I could kind of explore. Uh a little bit later on, at, at the very least, I, I gave it a little look and couldn't really find anything kind of um, extremely explicit that kind of gave gave it away as whether it would be or not. Obviously, symptoms, I guess, across the board kind of sit along a continuum. Not everyone will experience all symptoms of a particular disorder, but I think something like bipolar, um, at the very least, it, it seems to sit in a more categorical sense of people either have it or or don't maybe an easier way to kind of um get a sense of what i'm trying to get at is to compare those categorical disorders with um continuous or dimensional disorders including things like um, depression anxiety and as it relates to this topic to addiction as well so these sit on a continuum so I'm talking about addiction because, as with many people, I've seen and I am seeing others who I know carry on patterns of behavior that 
well, I wouldn't necessarily say scream addiction, but, you know, they're definitely louder than a whisper, if you get what I mean. I've also been reading um, this fantastically illustrated book by a guy called Gaber Matei, I think is how you pronounce his name, who is or was a physician um, working in Vancouver, um, Canada, in a region that was um, notorious for substance use and, um, and misuse. Uh, the book is called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, Close Encounters with Addiction. I've taken some notes and, and written it down, um, and I really want to explore it to, well, for my own learning, but also, as I said, because I think it it's important um, for people to firstly understand what I've just been talking about, of that distinction between categorical and and continuous kind of disorders because I think it stops that or at least it prevents um, that labeling that we get on other people and maybe even on ourselves so <clears throat> continuing on like I said the book is called in the realm of hungry ghosts um, close encounters with addiction and it does a very honest and well-intentioned I was going to say glance, but it's kind of more than a glance at the lives of people struggling as um, with addiction, as well as a description of what's going on in the mind, brain, and body. And uh, sorry, and body prior to, during, and following addiction. So addiction, as described by Doctor Gaben Matei, is probably what I should have said before. You know, he's a respectable guy. Um, <laughs> can often occur for substances as well as behaviours that produce a desirable effect. So typically, not always, um, these are substances or behaviours um, that are being... pathways that are being reinforced and and could have sort, sort of um, sought out over time as well. So Matei listed four features to addiction um, and I think this is really kind of the crux of of what I'm interested in um, so namely these are number one compulsivity and preoccupation with the stimulus or action so we'll talk I'll explore more of these um, in a moment and I'll just kind of run through the list at the moment so first being compulsive or preoccupied with the stimulus or action number two having impaired control of the addicted stimulus or action. Um, as you can see, I'm clearly making um, it a point that addiction is not just for for substances. It's not just drug addiction. Obviously, there's gambling addiction. Um, there's I've seen with um, some of the people that I, I used to work with, um, addiction to gaming um, as well. And so we'll... We'll explore kind of an interesting um, example, uh, not so much with gaming, but we'll explore one, an example of something that could potentially sit in the realm of addiction that isn't a substance because obviously everyone's heard of substance addiction. So what was the second one? Second one there was impaired control of the addicted stimulus or action. And so how would we know What's a good way of testing whether there's impaired control? Well, as a good kind of rule of thumb, and this is in the book as well, is recognizing for ourselves or listening to others 
and picking up on the false promises that we make. Uh, so I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop then and, you know, and then everything will be kind of good. And then recognizing that uh, those promises haven't been met. Okay, so quickly running through again. So far, I've got number one, compulsive or preoccupation, impaired control. And number three, persistence and or relapse despite negative consequences. So this is like that kind of that spiraling effect that we always hear about with addiction. And number four, um, which is crucial, is dissatisfaction or irritability and or intense craving when the stimulus is not immediately available. So this doctor that I mentioned, Dr. Gaber Matea, he explores the first component um, some more and I think it can be illustrated um, in a kind of a question and answer sort of walkthrough. So number one, again, compulsivity and preoccupation with the stimulus or action. This aspect of being compulsive matches with Nobody else is here, so I'm just going to say it. Um, so being compulsive matches with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. What also matches with OCD um, that adheres to those four features of addiction that I mentioned is the number two, sense of impaired control and at the extremes, kind of the actual impaired control. And we'll talk about that um, in the next, or some of the coming parts of um a series that I'm going to do on this. And also, there is a persistence over time despite negative consequences, which was point three. So that was relating to obsessive compulsive disorder. So if we remember correctly, that is the first three features in common between addiction and OCD. So what is the difference? One crucial difference is in the aspect of craving, which was that last point. So importantly, OCD does not involve a craving for a desirable stimulus. Another way of saying this, and I, I just looked this up actually, just to get some clarification, is that the feeling of satisfying a compulsion of the OCD variety is that it satisfies, but more of a relief of discomfort rather than an increase in pleasure. So obviously, this kind of becomes tricky um, as we know that continual repetition of whatever causes addiction can also make it hard for someone to feel pleasure. Um, even when they've got the stimulus, this is that the chasing the magic dragon or chasing the high kind of phenomenon. Um, but we see a distinction there. I was talking when I was um, exploring this, I was talking with my partner, Sarah, and she asked a good question. Can you be addicted to good things? By which I took her to mean that things that are beneficial to your body, so as a bit more of a, this is definitely more exploratory for me than um, kind of definitive facts as we've kind of just gone through. But if we travel back through those features, then I think we can answer this question for ourselves. So we'll take um, exercise, for example, and we'll work through those four steps. So number one, can there be a compulsion or preoccupation with exercising? Yes. Obviously, can there be impaired control over exercising? Yes, and using that same kind of rule of thumb of how do we tell whether something, whether someone has impaired control or may have impaired control, uh, was in the example of making false promises, such as somebody who says they're taking a rest day after injury, 
and continuing to um, to exercise a particular muscle group or just even at all, I guess, depending on the severity of the injury. I guess in, in some of my darker moments, this was a few years ago, um, but I told myself, you know, I would I would run. I was told myself I was going to run until I passed out or vomited um, at, as a kind of way of, I guess, sort of harming myself for the things that I thought that I had done wrong. I thought that that was um, a useful way of, of dealing with it at the time. Just to make it clear, it's not useful, so I would not advise. Um, but I think it might be interesting to kind of explore in relation to kind of challenging some of the conventional or automatic thoughts about what constitutes an addiction. So kind of going into it, things became interesting when, um, you know, when you're running and, and endorphins would kick in. So kind of as an aside, endorphins, they're called that because they activate the same brain receptors as morphine. Um, however, with endorphins, these chemicals are made within the body. So this process of coming uh, within the body is called an endogenous process. Therefore, endorphins are called so because they are endogenous morphine. Anyway, um, just as a, I'm not sure whether that's interesting to you or not, but I find it a useful way of remembering. Um, anyway, so my run would become interesting because after running for, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes, I'd get this rush that would still energize me to push a little harder, except now I was in a positive state of mind with the endorphins, if only for a brief period. But this positive state would provide a window of satisfaction where I would uh, be willing to conclude the run tired though still conscious and with the contents of uh, my stomach still situated endogenously. Um, there's that word, there's the example of the word again, situated endogenously, so not throwing up is what I mean. Where it became interesting was after the endorphin rush kind of subsided, a strong feeling of, um, I'd get this strong feeling of disappointment that would flood with the reminder that I did not do enough to kind of, you know, to teach myself a lesson as I thought of it at the time. Which takes us to the next point. Can exercise and particular exercise habits be persistent or cause a relapse over time despite negative consequences? And again, this is a yes. This often happens, um, for example, with anorexia nervosa, which also includes starvation, but... Um, also, uh, you know, uh, what movie is it? Oh, I forget the movie, um, but I watched it. Would have been around September when I was on the holiday. Oh, but it was about um, a girl who had anorexia nervosa specifically and was doing all these sit-ups and things like that. So we can see some overlap here um, with different types of disorders as well. Um but following the previous example that I was giving, that feeling of disappointment that I would encounter would be a driving factor to go out again the following night with a, with a, a stronger emotional thrust to, to run myself into the ground, um, <laughs> literally and I guess metaphorically as well. Um, so this also answers the final component. Can exercise lead to dissatisfaction irritability and or intense craving when 
the stimulus is not immediately present. In the case I mentioned, um, we saw dissatisfaction as, you know, as the endorphin high kind of subsided. It would have been simpler to discuss those four factors with something more stereotypical, such as, you know, drug use, as I mentioned before. I thought, however, that it might have been more interesting, as I said, to challenge the conventional or immediate ideas um, with something a little bit different. So I want to be clear that I'm not diagnosing myself as having met all the criteria for addiction to exercise, nor am I saying that anyone who can fit some habit um, that they engage in into the four criteria that we explored, I'm not saying that that person is therefore addicted. Um, in Instead, what I hope to have opened is some room in mind to account for, you know, the wide variability along the addiction continuum, you know, not as being a, a categorical kind of distinction. Um, so in the next in the next episode of this series, I'll be doing my best to kind of delve into some of the brain networks, psychological functions, and kind of experiential accounts to the best uh, that I can. Um, of addiction and exploring some topics I find to be highly relevant today amongst different groups. So, um, kind of stay tuned if if uh, you know if you found it interesting. I hope that you found it enjoyable. Um, I'll add li- uh, links, sorry, into the description for where I found the information from, like for example, the book, um, as well as where I went to. What was it? To, uh, to learn about the distinction between categorical and continuous um, or dimensional disorders. So um, thanks, for, thanks for listening if you made it this far and um, I hope you have a wonderful yeah, Christmas.